Hello, fans of Coffee Shop Conversations, Oregon Music News, coffee in general, and specifically World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason, where we do these things every week. I'm Tom D'Antoni, the apostrophe capital A-N-T-O-N-I, OMN editor, and this week with me in the coffee shop is entertainment attorney Peter Von Shaver, whom you should know is also OMN's attorney and has been for six years. He's a very interesting cat. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Coming up in the next few weeks, you can hear Amy Maxwell, co-owner with Patrick Lamb of Ticket Tomato. Lloyd Jones, blues soul singer, guitarist, and teller of tall tales. Lisa Mann, who has been winning national awards for her bass playing and singing. And another bass player, Damian Erskine, a bass player for all seasons. Let's talk with Peter, shall we? Welcome to the cupping room. Great to be here, Tom. <laughs> um, uh, all right, first of all, why do you use three names? You know, it just sounded a little classier to use Vaughn. There's a lot of Germans in this area, and they yeah. just say, okay, he's a homeboy, and, and that's cool. And I just like the way it flows off the tongue, actually. It's just yeah. Peter Von Shaver. It's, it's, cool. got, it's got a ring to it. It sounds like it's Z-O-N. Yeah, which is cool. I'm, I'm happy we even when people phonetically put that down there as long as they got it. It's it's like that Baron Vaughn thing, you know, so people dig it. It's gravitas, isn't it? It's heavy, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have been, just, just for full disclosure uh, here, uh, you have been representing Oregon Music News since almost day one. Although nobody's ever sued us. No, which is good. I, I have a thing about you should always avoid courtrooms and hospitals and police stations to the extent you can. That's successful living in my book. And, and it's good. We've had some, some issues that have come up, as you well know, but you know the rest of it's been uh, staying out of trouble is what I'm all about. It's the preventative dentistry of the legal business. <laughs> yes. The only, the only time we almost ran into trouble, and I won't go into any specifics, but somebody wrote a story and somebody got pissed off. And they were nutty. And, uh, <laughs> and then they didn't do anything. Yeah, and uh, uh, that was very nutty. There are, those people are always going to exist. But, yeah. you know, I think a lot of news organizations will have somebody on staff typically to clear things. There's always a vetting process that, that you go through with any kind of broadcast medium as can we do this kind of thing. And without having that as a preventative upfront thing, you're, you're dealing with the reactive aspects of it. You're dealing with the, oh, crap, we have a problem. Uh, now what do we do kind of thing? And that was one of those situations where I'd wish they'd asked me up front about, is this cool or not? And I could have voiced in at that point, but, uh, yeah. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're not. We're, uh, we, we tend to not do that. <laughs> Well, if you're an experienced editor, too, you kind of know what will fly and what, what won't. And if you're dealing with experienced writers, you're relying on them to prevent, to present factual information, yeah. not be – and unless it's kind of an editorial piece or there's something where there's more opinion or a critical aspect to it, you really have to have that M – Everything, is everything we're printing true and accurate? And that's really the standard for um, at least libel. So, did, did you set out to be an entertainment attorney? No. Um, just kind of went to law school where you don't major in anything. It's just yeah. kind of like what's uh, – you learn a lot of basic stuff the first 
kind of two years you're there and then uh, you kind of get into areas of specialization. I was working with a professor who had, he was this total anarchist former artist from New York City who, uh, really real leftist bent, but that's University of Oregon law, God love it. And uh, I was working with this cat and he uh, uh, basically would, I, I became his office monkey. I helped him out with a lot of things and he would get approached by bands and things to say, hey, do you want to work on this case? This guy was a busy law professor, so he would say, no, I can't work on this, but I have an office monkey who I'll, I'll, I'll bust out of the trunk and you, maybe he'll work with you on it. And one of the things, I, I always had a real abiding interest in music and, and I had friends in bands and the whole thing. So I was like a super fan and Yuvo really didn't have any kind of entertainment law program the way you would at some of the California and New, New York law schools. But um, So I ended up working with this band called Negative Land, which was a kind of... I love Negative Land. Sure. I, they're, they're outlaws of... Yeah. of kind of sonic appropriation and uh, slicing and dicing and recasting Well, no wonder things. they needed a lawyer. Oh, they didn't know our big time. Yeah. This was in the wake of them getting sued by Island Records and uh, Warner Chapel Publishing and I think a couple other people. But uh -huh. there's a whole book about it. Um, they they used a U2 song in yeah. a, a something and, it was, and there was some real hilarious uh, kind of collage they put together on this one song. But they brought me in on their next project, which was called Dyspepsy. And Dyspepsy was basically taking <laughs> 20 years of Coke and Pepsi ads, slicing and dicing it to make a, a kind of commentary on consumer society and the, the, the colossal absurdity of these two giant companies selling sugar water and, 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 and fighting about it, you know. And um, it was really brilliant. But and, and the coolest thing from a legal perspective was they came in and said, we don't want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be on the bleeding edge. We want to wear that. It's actually cutting the surface a little bit. It was like, it was brilliant. I got it right away. Yeah. So I got to work with Mark Hosler and some of the other guys involved with that band. And there were a lot of really cool sampling things. And I, I at this point, I think they were really looking to get sued so they could take this all the way to the Supreme Court and yeah. have some kind of big decision about fair use that would kind of blow that open and allow... Their whole kind of artistic thing was being able to use found sound and samples from the environment in an artistic format and throw that back at the public or throw it back at these big conglomerate yeah. uh, entities to be able to have a kind of consumerist dialogue. Uh -huh. There was a very hardcore kind of art project to it. Sure. They weren't doing it just to – they never made money, but they would do this to just kind of be provocateurs. Right. And since then, Mark Hosler has made a career out of touring colleges and law schools and doing his whole thing about why there should be more fair usage in sampling laws or broadened uh, flexibility for artists to do that stuff and to talk back to these kind of things. Uh -huh. It's brilliant from a artistic perspective, but from a strict – the way the laws are now, you can't always do that stuff. So how did it end up? We put the project out. Yeah. It went to number one in college radio. <laughs> I got a, 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 I was so super stoked to be involved with that, I, and I would carry that to interviews and just say, <laughs> "See, I'm credited on this." As I think, I, I think I was credited as a lawyer-operated salad shooter. I don't know what that <laughs> meant, but to this day, it's the coolest credit I've ever received on any uh, any project. So, did they get sued? Not at all. Really? No. And and they really hoping for it too, which was the funny part. Um, 
But I think it was good because uh, they uh, they lost a lot of money. Their former label got sued in the prior lawsuit, and then oh. in turn sued them for oh, giving them tainted goods. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, long story, but really fun clients to work with. So back to your question, that's yeah. kind of how I got into it, realizing that wow, maybe I could do something in this business. I got out of school, started working with another lawyer here in Portland who really didn't do music law, but he said, hey, if you want to go broaden the practice and go develop that yourself, knock yourself out, which was great for me because I was spending most of my off hours hanging out in bars watching music anyway. <laughs> so I might as well chat up the uh, the uh, musicians and see if there was some help that they needed with stuff. And I screwed up a little bit early on. I wasn't the greatest music lawyer but years and years of screwing up and then slowly you get it down and now I'm just busy 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 working with a lot of uh, really the cream of the crop of uh, Portland and beyond uh, as far as the music business goes. Is, is there one major lesson you learned from your early days? You know I would say there's a certain honesty integrity where you, if you don't know something tell your client that and just say look you know I will figure it out for you or help you get to a place mm -hmm. And also just the fact that if you know more than they do, that's still a a valid situation to get into, um, you know, because you're really helping people. I'm all about teaching people this stuff, copyrights, contracts. I tell clients, hey, I hope you don't need me someday where you know this stuff better than I do. But until you do, I'm here to do that or I'm here to free you up to be creative and take care of some of the business back end. And I've got a lot of clients who are super busy touring, recording musicians. They don't have time for this stuff, so they just dump all their contact, contracts and whatever on me. I take care of all the back-end stuff, and they go tour and make, make music. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing. So it must be interesting because no matter how smart, how confident, how you know, even the toughest metal guys, they must come to you and like they're little children. A lot of them, and I have to say this, the metal people are without without any doubts the nicest people you will meet. And maybe that's just a Portland thing, but you get beyond the tats and the, the, the piercings, they are the nicest damn people. And I'll also say that about the punk community. I, I have some just lovely relationships with, with bands like that. Um, it's some of the more indie rockers where you get attitude and, and other things. Oh, really? But, what a surprise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but you think that – and, and the, the metals, when there is a metal fight, they are like babies. They're worse than babies. Really? Yeah, they're drunk babies with tattoos. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's hideous to get involved. I, I worked with one local band where the, the main guys started a company, an LLC, and the voting rights were you know, majority rules. And eventually the band kicked him out of his own band. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, that was a fun one. Um, yeah, but so so I mean, after a while, it, it's you, you just develop those kind of competencies, and you can kind of it, it, it's a lot of it. it musicians, I work with folks that are very spacey and pure, and all they do is music. They're like sharks. They wake up. They just that's all they exist for. Yeah, and they are really detached from a lot of the practical reality of business stuff mm -hmm. and legal stuff. They need a lot of hand-holding. They need a lot of help. And they're super grateful when you can help them through that thing. And it's, you know, th those are great clients to have. The other folks uh, on the other end of the spectrum are the folks who are, uh, you know, super, they're just intelligent people who understand the business 
side of the music business yeah. as much as the music side. You tell them stuff once, they've got it. They're a joy to work with. But I really love the helpless pure musicians who really need that hand-holding and assistance through stuff. My uncle down in Eugene is an artist like that, and I really I help him out with a lot of stuff. And he's just one of those cats that just wants to make music. He doesn't care about anything else, and that's it. Well, you must love working with uh, the people at Oregon Music News, except for our publisher, who is the smart one of the bunch. I, I love <laughs> them all. It's, 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 no, I, I love the association with it, and it's great to see you know, the, some of these things where it start off as just ideas that become kind of institutions, if you will. I, I've worked with PDX Pop now yeah. uh, from its early days, and it's just beautiful to see the community embrace that event and really be stoked to have it there. And it, it, it now kind of having its own, uh, you know, being able to self-sustain itself is really amazing. But well, a lot of us should be in institutions. Uh, yeah. Uh, including the editor, <laughs> who, who, who is a real candidate for one. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but you're not from here. No, I'm originally from Boston, yeah. uh, and I spent about 30 years out there, a couple of years. I went to undergrad at uh, Michigan undergrad, and um, spent a little time in Chicago, but um, I'm since really 91, I've become a hardcore Northwesterner, and I can't imagine living anywhere else. Love to go back to Boston. I still drive like a Bostonian. I still have a – clients love it when I, I have a little bit of an attitude, if you will. Um, people say, like, dude, you get more aggro about our, our stuff than, than we are. And they love that, <laughs> that I bring a little kind of angst to the game. Um and I think coming from Boston, too, you have a, a better built-in bullsh bullshit detector. It's yes. kind of out here. People are so accepting. and or, or the way I like to put it, back east, you are definitely guilty until proven innocent. Absolutely. Here, it's the reverse. You're innocent until you screw somebody over. Yes. And so I have to be that guy who prevents people from getting screwed over by saying, <laughs> uh, question authority or call them on that or, yeah. or just throw a little attitude back at folks just so they respect you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's it's. Uh, I found when I moved here that uh, I moved here in '97 uh, that uh, people uh, always mistook enthusiasm for anger. Yeah, well, to me, I like to say people out in Oregon really don't have much of a sense of irony. You know, back east, you're like, well, don't we, tell that to the hipsters. Well, <laughs> well, but we have a thing about like you're all constantly like we call it in certain ways like busting people's chops, where you're just like, yes needling them about making fun of them in a subtle way but and everybody does it it's a very healthy kind of thing back and yeah. forth you do that out here people think you're making fun of them or, or really they take everything very literally there's a there's a terrific bass player named dennis Cayazza, big italian guy from rochester okay now he and i just go back and forth like crazy we're we have so much fun but we were at a at a, at a gig one time where tony Passini was playing the piano player who is italian but he's not that way. <laughs> he's not like an East Coast Italian. <laughs> and he didn't get it. I mean, he, it was like, or he, he was offended or something. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you I mean you know it's uh, it's 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 good when you can run into somebody that you can uh, you can uh, be yourself with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I lived in Chicago for a year, I was like, oh, these are my people. There's a substantial Irish and Italian yeah. like element there. Those yeah. people got it as much as. Yeah. Um, New York, they carry it a little too far sometimes. Bostonians, though, we have it down to an art as far as that just kind of BSing. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, I, when I first moved here, I moved here to be with a, a girlfriend who lived here. And that was a real point of contention that she didn't understand. I've had that experience with girlfriends, too. It was yeah. just like I had to just say, hey, we finally got it down and just say, look, uh, take literally about 30% of everything I say. The rest of it is good-natured good needling. Uh, <laughs> it's That's dangerous, needling. Uh, it is, needling, yeah. Needling your girlfriend is never, uh, ever works out for you. No, it does. And it'll be used against you, trust oh, me. Oh, yes. 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 The yeah. memory will be there, and you're yeah, going to hear the next argument. You're going to hear the right. whole litany the of things arguments. that you did. Yes. 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 <laughs> oh, man. So... Um, so you're you're from Boston. Were were you always interested in law, or did that how did that how did that come to you? Well, my dad's an attorney, ah, uh, so yeah. there was a genetic component yeah. there I couldn't avoid. And my mother was a super creative person, uh -huh. so you know when I became a kind of arts and entertainment attorney, I like to tell people I really had no choice in the matter. This was <laughs> genetic predisposition at its its best, but. Um, but really, I have these days where I think I have the best job in Portland. It's a, a never-ending, beautiful freak show of really awesome, talented people that I get to enable to do creative things and um, and really feeling part of that process sometimes. And I have great days where somebody, some artist will show up very proudly and give me a CD or a record yeah. with my name on the back, credited our awesome attorney. And that's those are great days for me. Um, yeah. There was one metal band I work with where I left them a phone message. Jeez, uh, I don't know if I should even tell this story, but I was pretending I was Satan. Okay, it's a metal band. It was one of those things. <laughs> so, so I called up and I said, hey, guys, it's me, Satan, calling from hell. And um, I, I was talking to them about something. And they loved this message so much yeah. that one day they, they show up in the office. They're all smiling. And I go, what? And they go, check out the hidden track after the last song. And there was my phone message. And I, I had to tell them, I said, you have totally validated my existence. This is the coolest thing that's – if they had told me in law school or prior to going to law school that I'd have a day like that, I would have done it a long time ago. Well, most people think attorneys are Satan anyway. It's true. But, you know, to me it's not selling out. It's buying in. And, and uh yeah, I have contracts for souls that I've done for record companies. <laughs> Remember what Burroughs said. Burroughs said every soul is worth is worth saving, but not every soul is worth buying. William Burroughs. It's said. so true. It's so true. <laughs> and and with most soul deals, they collect at age twenty seven or twenty eight. I think twenty seven is the industry standard for it. So. Speaking of soul, you're a big soul record collector, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Um, Always since you were a kid. You know, it's funny. I, I tracked that back once, and a lot of it was listening, growing up and being a complete Beatles freak uh -huh. as, like, you know, single-digit ages. I was I loved the Beatles. Wow. And then I realized after a few years, like, wait a minute, they're just covering Motown songs, or they're covering Chuck Berry, Barrett Strong, or, like, all these just killer songs. And when you heard the originals, like Shout by the Isley Brothers, right. or some of these things, you're just like – Screw these white guys. Let's See, go to the real deal exactly, stuff. That is exactly what I thought when I was in high school and they and they first hit. I'm like, wait a minute. That's that's not as good as Chuck Berry. No. That's not as good as the Isley Brothers. Same thing with the Stones. You can track that back there too. The first few albums are all just covers of like great yeah, music. Yeah, but the Stones were truer to the sources. Yes. And yeah. they credited the sources. I mean, not that the Beatles didn't talk about the the sources because they did. But the, the, I mean, if you read the if you read the Keith Richard autobiography, they were slavishly, 
slavishly true to the original. Oh, courses. sure. Yeah, you can hear that in his playing, too. Yeah. I mean, all those Chuck Berry covers they did on the right. first couple things. But So I got into soul and R&B through the Beatles. And then I, in Boston, you have all these college stations. Yeah. And a couple of the college stations just had these killer old soul and R&B songs that I would tape every week. Uh-huh. So I had a huge collection of stuff. Um, really just kind of got into it. And now um, it's just kind of... I love record shopping and yeah. going to yard sales and stuff like that. So I'm always looking for Soul 45s, R&B stuff, yeah. old blues. Um, I work with a couple reissue labels, uh, Mississippi Records. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eric Isaacson there, who just does a phenomenal job of ex- excavating all this old, cool stuff. I know. And to- it's so under the radar. It is. And... He, it's you know when you're in his store, you walk out and over the door there's a sign that says "Love over Gold." He's yeah. not about making money. He's a, he's right. a true archivist. He does yeah. some really cool stuff. We there. did a video interview with him. He's terrific. Oh, yeah, 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 great guy. Uh, and then there's another label um, I work with called uh, Tonkin Square out of uh, uh, San Francisco oh, now. Yeah. And they do a lot of gospel re-releases. Uh-huh. I worked with another client named Mike McGonigal, who's now the music editor of the. Detroit Free Press or some Metro uh-huh. Times in Detroit. Yeah. And he's a nationally known kind of figure and collector in gospel stuff. So I really listen to a lot of that old oh, yeah. 50s, 60s. Um, you know, and it, it, to me, like record shopping, if, if, if the artist has the name Little or Blind in, in, in their name, <laughs> um, or if there's any song that begins with Ain't or uses that, you buy it, sight unseen. That's going to be some good stuff. Um, so, but yeah, I, I listen to a lot of that stuff and it's difficult to meet a lot of people because nobody else really listens to that. There's, and there's, when you meet those people, you kind of bug out and have these great discussions about stuff, but it's really just me and my record collection sometimes like just kind of, uh, having a really good time with, uh, what we got going on. But there has been this huge revival. It's great. You know, um, uh, uh, DJ Cookie Parker and I get terrific numbers on Friday nights yeah. on KMHD. He plays the obscure stuff, and I play the more the hits. You know, although it, it <laughs> would be hits to us, to a lot of people, it's still obscure stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, uh, uh, this has all happened in the past few years, don't you think? It's revival. In a larger way. And I mean, you look at some of the artists like Amy Winehouse or, sure. or, or Charles Bradley or uh-huh. um, what's the gal from New York? Sharon Jones. Sharon Jones, you know, yeah. where they just brought that sound back. And now, like, seeing really young people embracing that. Yes. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I love that stuff because it validates my own good taste in music. Yeah. But, it, but it's also like that kind of sound, especially on the more authentic tip. I work with uh, Brownish Black or members yes. of Brownish Black. Great local example of something like that. Or the Pinnacles. Well, they're more on the kind of psych thing tip. Mm-hmm. But just that, that same kind of thing where there's that, that element to it that's so great. Um, and, um, yeah, whenever I can, I'm always buying vinyl on from that era. Yeah. So. You know, it's funny. Um, about six, six or seven years ago, Thera Memory, uh, when Thera Memory came out with Chronicles, the last album he released, I interviewed him and he said he wanted to release this album because he feared that that's, that sound was going away. And he might have been right at the time, 
But since then, it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been so much stuff, uh, you know, so many new bands and so many revivals. and um, It's really good. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear some of those old records, like Cookie Parker's show. I listen to it all the time. Um, you know, just some stuff with some grit in the grooves. That's what I like to hear. And uh, kind of my own scratchy records. It's uh, yeah, stuff that yeah, it's yeah, I can go on for hours about that. Scratchy. I, I played um, um, Shirley Brown a couple of weeks ago, uh, Woman to Woman, and it was, you know, the the first first thirty seconds were. Yeah. Well, you're playing vinyl. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's part of the charm. And uh, I don't know, if you're old school and have had records for as long as I have, things that you just say dearly love, you know, you're yeah. still going to, you, you, you can hear through that stuff. And thank God uh, KMHD has two incredible turntables. Mm -hmm. Two. <clears throat> yeah, most radio stations don't have any. Mm -hmm. There's no, they wouldn't even think about it. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing. I was listening to one show. I don't think I'd ever heard it, but it's a KMHD show, mm -hmm. and all the, all he did was bring an obscure vinyl that he had. It yeah. was last night. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, really great show. Yeah. No, it's a you know it's it's a, it, it's a good thing. Um, got, what have you gotten lately? What have you found lately? Lately, um, <laughs> well, uh, I have a listening pile at home. Yeah. <laughs> and what tends to happen is uh, clients bring things in on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. I work with a psych re-release label called Gearfab Records out of uh, Colorado. They just sent me a box of, oh. of things. That's in the pile. Um, and then um, Eric at uh, Mississippi just yeah. uh, dropped a whole bunch of stuff on me. So I, I was listening to some Trinidadian music probably from the late 30s early 40s wow. that's that's been a lot of it this week uh, <laughs> and that's that just says something about mississippi um just cool stuff like that that yeah. um a lot of old blues releases too uh uh -huh. blues collections um jeepers what else you know uh, when i'm in the mood because because of apps like tune in i like to listen to whack w a c k in port of spain trinidad who has they play this this crazy mix of calypso and soca and and steel band uh, steel 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 band or, orchestra uh, music, whack w a c k we are culture crazy. So that's, that's wow. the colors of the station. What a trip! It's wild, and every and every commercial has reverb in it. <laughs> that's great. I, I mean, so I, I have kind of esoteric taste there. The, the last two albums I bought were. A Black Pussy record, who are clients of mine, and uh, Red Fang. Yeah. So I, I, my girlfriend's always, you're weird. You listen to I'm like, I, I try to explain to her, it's like eating. You have to have a balanced diet. You know, you get your your metal, you get your, your some certain nutrients for that, and then some of the other stuff that I'm into. Um, God, what else? Uh, our, our John Cruz, I just love that picture he took with the cover of, of the, the – uh, uh, April issue of uh, of uh, Oregon News and News, the magazine, with the guy uh, of Red Fang. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did the whole cover in his backyard, no less. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, great, the great. The guy on the tricycle. And, oh. Great band. Uh, and, and for me, it's it's <laughs> you have to have really open ears because I literally work in every genre of yeah. music. And I think another thing you're just saying, what have you, you know, kind of, 
fundamental things I've learned from doing this long enough, it's you really realize that um, there's good music in every genre. And there's a lot of crappy music, but it's right. also just listening to that those kind of things and being kind of an omnivore about consuming music as well as kind of enabling it is really a great thing. So I'll have nights where I'll go to a you know, uh, an open mic to see a singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'll go to the Portland cello project concert and then end up at some metal show somewhere. And I, I always, I'm always have those nights where I'm in the back of the metal show wearing my chinos <laughs> from work. And then someone on the stage will go, our lawyers in the house. And I'm like, hi, trying to hide behind a pillar somewhere in my chinos, you know, my dockers. That's funny. Uh, well, it's the founding principle of Oregon music news. That's for sure. Yeah. It's all good, and, and I love when people come here and just – knowing people in all these different sub-scenes, too, is really amazing because you realize the depth of how incredible just the high level we have in a lot of genres. Um, I went to see Blue Cranes the other night, another client of mine. Great show, and one of those bands you kind of forget about, and you see them, and you're like, holy crap, these guys are world beaters, man. They could be playing anywhere, oh, and, and they're here at yes. Jimmy Max on a Tuesday night or whatever. So. And and I think my favorite cover of all time for Oregon Music News, the magazine, and always will be, is that picture of Rebecca Sanborn with the with the crown of skeleton keys. Ah, yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah. The whole band. All right, great. well, let's get to a couple of issue issues, okay? Um, that maybe people have seen in the news and they don't quite understand, and they haven't read what you've written about them. <laughs> One is this current issue of fair play, fair pay. This bill that's up there. Uh, what is that about? Yeah, well, the U.S. is, I'll say, almost unique in the world. We're, we're in bed with a couple other countries like China, North Korea, and I forget who the other access of, of evil is. But we're one of the few countries that does not pay the owner of a sound recording when that sound recording is publicly performed or played on the radio or in other places like that. We're one of the few countries doesn't that's not part of the copyright law. Everywhere else in the first and second world, that's part of the deal. You play music on the radio, you pay the owner of the sound recording. Yeah. Now we do pay songwriters and songwriters publishing companies. There's a couple groups called ASCAP and BMI that collect income from the public performance of song compositions, not the sound recording, but the mm -hmm. composition. And that's been established as part of US law for a long, long time. Those people have been paid but again, there's new uh, uh, legislation pending in Congress to rectify that, to now provide income to the owner of sound recordings. It's a pretty radical thing. Yeah. And a lot of the big industry groups like the radio broadcasters are all lining up against it. Um, and it's, we'll have to see where it goes. But given the makeup of the legislature at this point, I'm not sure how likely it is to pass um, – and there were a couple other kind of subcomponents of that that bill, including one that would uh, give producers a little chunk of change wow. and more credits. Which I work with a lot of producers, and yeah. they always you don't you know with selling ones and zeros now you don't get liner notes, and they're all like people want to know who produced this. There's an ego thing exactly. with some of those guys, and they want to. I'm, I'm definitely on the warpath about doing stories on people like Tucker Martin and Steve Berlin, yeah, and people like that. Sure, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, so that, so it's a really interesting law. I don't know if it's going to pass, but it's one of those things that the more public dialogue on there is and the more we see how out of step we are with other nations, especially the EU and some of these other trade partners, I'm hoping that there'll be that standardization and those folks will get paid. And I walk a fine line between artist rights and corporate rights. I'm all about musicians getting paid. I'm, that's a really important thing for me. So even though I'm a, I work with folks like Negative Land, who it's kind of a more pro-artist, anti-industry kind of take on things, yeah. I really, if there's something that is going to improve the bottom line for an artist, I'm all about harnessing those revenue streams or building that up so they, they can support and sustain, them, sustain themselves. Yeah. Who, is, who is advocating for this, this, this bill? Obviously, the record companies. Um, for it. For, 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 for the record companies are, are in favor of it. They're in favor of it because they, they will, there will be a whole new income stream gotcha. for that industry. I mean, vinyl has, there's a huge resurgence going on there. I was talking yeah. to Terry Courier for a few weeks ago. He's saying vinyl sales are up 40%. Wow. Um, and CDs are just kind of dying on the vine. They'll still be around, but they're waning. There's more interest in that area, but they're always looking for more revenue streams, especially now with things like Spotify and some of these other outlets that have, especially with the younger demographic, have been very important as far as music uh, consumption, but they don't pay very well, and they dilute the market. People aren't going to go out and buy the product if, if they're getting it inexpensively through a streaming service. So they're looking to kind of get back in the game with another uh, what will be an evergreen revenue uh, generating thing. Yeah. There's also a component to that that um, basically in our country, um, sound recordings were not even protected under copyright law until 1972. And there's a lot of folks from that earlier age of music who aren't getting paid. They can't even protect their works. And a lot of these uh, streaming services aren't even paying the artists on it or the labels for those pre-72 recordings. Mm. So they're, the part of the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act is to try to rectify that situation as well. Wow. So what do you think is going to happen? It'll be interesting. I mean, you look at a lot of these kind of bills and things. It's sometimes you have to reinduce it four or five times or, or yeah. get some majority members on. If you have somebody, a Republican from a certain uh, district who has a constituent that that's a big pressing need of theirs or is a big donor to their campaigns, yeah. you're going to see more traction there. But uh, it's a really difficult thing. But if you look at the U.S. is doing a lot less manufacturing. We're becoming intellectual property driven. A lot of the capital like is things like films and things like software programs these things aren't manufactured it's not like we're doing steel or cars that much but it's those kind of things are becoming so a lot of that it's in the country's best interest to kind of beef up those kind of intellectual property areas and, and make sure that there's enough money going into them i i have no pity for major record labels but again it's i want to see people get paid I guess there are there still are major record labels. Huh? There's a few. Yeah. yeah. Who, who do you think is the is, would who would you say is the top the top record label right now? You know, I'm not sure. There's been so much consolidation I know, now. There's it, 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 it's uh, there's really like four record companies, and I'm not even sure what the major. What used to be Sony would be one. They uh they're one of them, yeah. Um, Whatever. And I'm not even sure at this point. I, I do so little major label work. I work yeah. with a lot of smaller labels and probably 
you know, just dozens in Portland. And so it's, um, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. The other issue that's been uh, been in the news lately around around town here is the the uh, lawsuit by the slants. Mm-hmm. That, that just got they just they just lost. Did they not? They just lost, but they're appealing. Um, basically, the, the deal with that is they're a predominantly Asian American band, and they're using the name the Slants, and they've tried to register a federal trademark for that. And basically, one of the federal trademark rules is that you cannot register a name that is demeaning or disparaging, or that is in any way negative um, to a a group like that. Yeah. So they were turned down repeatedly. They've gone through a couple court processes to try to do that. And frankly, knowing the law and having tried to do registrations that were turned down for being scandalous or immoral right. uh, myself, I understand that law. And frankly, they're making a big um, kind of empowerment argument basically just saying that this is part of our cultural identity we've embraced this what used to be more of a negative term in a kind of playful uh, empowering way yeah and it's a good argument but it's not going to fly i think because there's still too many people that may be offended by that or uh, it would open up what they call the slippery slope where if we allow you to do that, right. it's going to be other people, um, you know, who are going to come with scandalous or immoral names that are that the, relying on what we did for you, they'll be able to use that argument as, well, you did it for the slants, now you have to do it for us. So I couldn't register the Dagos. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe the Dayglo Dagos. I don't know. It's kind probably of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, uh, yeah, so I guess Jackie O. Motherfucker could never be registered. No, or Black Pussy, which I tried to register. Is that right? Once. Yeah, yeah. Good. They're, and they're, that's, I've worked with them through their whole name. Um, you know, it's a, I. But that could be a cat. It could be a cat, but it, it, it they is. turned it down on the same basis. Yeah. So I kind of know where the slants are on that, and I understand it, and tried to make some arguments that were similar, like, it could be a cat. Uh, <laughs> but they didn't buy it. And, and frankly, you who know. Who is they? The Black Pussy, the no, band. No, no, no. Oh, who the trade, the trademark it? office. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, I mean. It's a federal and, agency in Washington. Yes. On, which is under what department? You know? uh, and it's well, it's the Patent and Trademark Office, okay. the USPTO. Right. Yeah. So they, and they make all those decisions about what's registrable or not, and um, you know, it it's it. They have an interesting, compelling argument, but I don't think it'll fly at any level. And I think they're in for kind of a another rude surprise that they're they're not going to do it. You know, and part of it is you wonder if it's a kind of a PR uh, thing for them, sure. but. Um, and I'm sure there's some collateral benefits that are coming Absolutely. out of it. You'll be playing ACLU events all over the country for the next <laughs> 10 years. So, Well, I mean, they, they would not have uh, been in the news as much, certainly, without, without, sure. this, without this lawsuit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And Black Pussies, they, they have got a lot of flack. There was a big organized campaign to protest them at every stop on their last tour. I think they had one show canceled, but um, above and beyond that, it's I've discussed it with the band and just basically say, you know, it's a you have to own and defend that name, and that's one of those things. If you're gonna like 
use that. They did not adopt that name for PR purposes. They've been around a long time and haven't. They're getting some benefits from it collaterally, mainly because of the news coverage of the protest. Yeah. But um, you know, it's a difficult road to walk. Who's protesting it? Uh, you know, a lot of uh, feminist groups, and um, you know, they've had organized protests. Uh, one of the guys in the band will often go out with donuts or something and just talk to them, engage yeah. them in a discussion, which yeah. I think is really cool and really a, a way to do it. And um, they're, they are, again, some of the nicest people I work with, really. I mean that, some of the nicest people I work with. <laughs> I was on a plane once, and, and I, was sitting, I, I, found I, I found I was sitting across from a woman from Jackie O, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know? What what are the great band names of all time? Oh sure, of all time. Yeah, that and and Smegma. Yeah, I think there were the same people in, in that. They were in both bands. Little overlap. I work with some of the original Smegma folks. With Meltzer? Uh, Do you know? Uh, you Mike Mike, La Mike Lastra. Okay. Yeah. Richard Meltzer was. was oh, that. the critic. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He's, he, I know he, he used to live in Portland anyway. Yeah, he came back too, didn't he? At some point, he was yeah, yeah. around here, or you'd see him doing readings around time. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. One of the original five rock critics. Hmm. Him, Grill Marcus, Robert Crisco, Nick Tachis, and Lester Banks. Mm -hmm. And Meltzer. Mm -hmm. Meltzer. Grumpy old guy. <laughs> uh, but who am, I, who am I to accuse? Hey, you know. <laughs> the whole idea of professional criticism just kind of blows my mind. Oh, I know. I know. It's, cra it's crazy. Um, I, uh, at our at our benefit on Saturday night, I, I was uh, I, I was doing a little bit of emceeing, and I get up, and I, and I was you know thanking Josh Mom for you know putting the benefit on for us and saying that we're in our sixth year and we had uh, we had published twelve thousand six hundred and thirty five pieces, and every one of them was about great music, except one from Ace of Base. <laughs> And it's really true. Actually, we do. You know, I, it was early, very early on in my career, I was working at a, a Maryland Public TV, and it was on a show called The Critics' Place, and I was the jazz and pop music critic. I was I was under thirty at the time, and uh, and they started giving me assignments like going to see. A band at the Holiday Inn, which was five guys in, in matching, matching purple velour suits singing Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Okay? And what can you say about that? So I, <laughs> being a, being a, you know, uh, an outlaw at the time myself, I was mean. And then after doing a bunch of those, I just thought, well, this is bullshit. This is just bullshit. This is why there's no reason to do this, you know? I mean, I was getting paid, so I wasn't going to quit. But uh, so I just I would end up doing saying stuff like, "Well, if you like this, you'll like this, right?" Um, because you can only, except for people who really make a career out of being mean, um, you just you, there's no reason to do that. And so that was another one of the founding principles of Oregon Music News. You know, uh, first of all, who the fuck cares what you think? Who cares? I mean. Who are you anyway? You know, and people who 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 read who who read us, they don't really know who our writers are. They don't know their backgrounds. They don't know what they know. So you know, we decided. Uh, I decided <laughs> very early on to you know to to have people write about things they like. 
Yeah, and I think that's helpful, but it, you don't want to sound too overly rubber stamping that everything is great. But uh, the negativity sometimes, I mean, it's just, yeah. Um, I, I remember to, even, even in the local press here, you just very rarely see negative reviews on anything. Um, and I think blogs have kind of picked that up where there's right. something where it's more of a personal take on stuff. But, you know, and you'll you'll see things when there's a negative review. Someone will write into the paper saying that, why do you send somebody who hates that band to do, to review that show? Exactly. And that certainly that makes sense. Like if if you have a metal fan, send them to the metal show and they you know let them be given informed, you know, kind of view of it for good or bad. But that's why know. most of our stuff is. Previews. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's 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 a, the public is better served if uh, if they see some, uh, that a band that they like is coming and we talk to the guy, you know, we talk to the leader of the band, we get an interview or we preview that show and then they just, they know what to expect. They have a new album coming out, whatever. But uh, I, I remember that the one I've only written two negative, really only written two negative pieces the entire six years, right? One, the guy never let me forget it. And so when he had it, when he when he came out with a new album several years later, I gave it to somebody else to write about. So he finally got off my back. But the other one was Ace of Base. <laughs> They're my favorite target. They just are my favorite. Target. Yeah, the other thing I, I've kind of learned in being in the business is there's always something nice to say about somebody's stuff, and really just being kind of sonically colorblind about music like really i never bag on anybody's taste yeah. or their record collection it's more just like that's what you like that's cool it's like you know you're gonna hate somebody for liking the color orange when you don't like it it's one of those like just things that has become ever more absurd to me that oh that just you have to respect the validity of people's musical interest or what they're into yeah. and for me it's kind of like I just enable people to do that stuff. That's the fun part about do the best you can. I don't get involved with any editorial decisions on anything. I just try to enable them to follow their inclinations and to get the products out there and to do the performances. So, This is not to say that we don't have a, just a little bit of snark now and then. We do. Like today, um, uh, we, we get that in on our Throwback Thursdays. Like today, um, I, I chose Cypress Hill, uh, the, uh, which was had a top ten hit in 1993. 1993 is 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. And they had a tune called Insane in the Brain. Oh, it's a great song. And first of all, it was a House of Pain knockoff. I'm sorry it was a House of Pain knockoff. But I said it's a prime example of how to make money while acting stupid. Which it, it was then and is now, but that's the that's the only. I mean, that's it's easy to make fun of that that's that stuff. Sure, and actually, I mean, there's a couple really good Cypress Hills. I I love that song, by the way. <laughs> but they are acting stupid. Oh sure, but it's yes. it was kind of early stoner rap stuff, and then now there's whole genres of you look well, at all the bands that have come after them in that same bag. Um, they actually did it a lot better than <laughs> it being a progenitor, you know. So. Oh jeez, I looked at that last night and I went, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it really. Um, well, now now they can do it legally. Sure. Hey, let me ask you something. You may know this. When the law changes, can people smoke at concerts? 
No, there's still going to be kind of, uh, well, it depends on the venue, I would imagine, but it's kind of like what you see sometimes if you go to bars out on their patio and it's like, no clove cigarettes, no cigars. There may be something along those kind of carve-outs where whatever. But, you know, I think it's going to be probably less enforced, but it'll be the same kind of thing where there's no smoking cigarettes. Oh, just, no because smoking it's, anything. just because it's smoking. Right, right. Oh, it has nothing to do with what, what you're I don't. I don't think it'll matter. Really? You know, for outdoor events where they're wow. not enforcing that kind of stuff, yeah. but um, – I think the entire state of Oregon is smoke-free now. Where I, the public, the state parks have designated smoke. Like we're out in nature, and there's a designated smoking thing. Probably just a, when it becomes legal, a big exhaust fan over like a phone booth or something. I, yeah. Man, that's not fair. Just when it just just when it becomes legal, you, you can't. Well, that's, that's just, I don't. Yeah, the other good thing about my practice is there's a lot of overlap between marijuana law and music law. <laughs> I have a couple clients that are just say uh, freelance horticulturalists who, really? uh, yeah. yeah. So I end up doing like leasing agreements for large buildings. So and, are, uh, are all these uh, medical marijuana uh, stores, and when, when when the law goes into effect, are they just going to become regular stores? I think some of them may. Um, as in the other states, I think there's always going to be the recreational versus medicinal kind of thing. And even stores now in Washington have two separate sections really? of the store and different pricing. It's actually cheaper for the medicinal folks. If you're there just as a, you know, off the street as a consumer, yeah. you pay a lot more for it. Really? Yeah. Same thing in Colorado. but And I think that there may be the same kind of thing here, too. The laws are very unsettled. They're still working that out. I have a number of clients in that business or in various parts of that business, and uh, it's kind of just sit tight and wait until the state figures it out. There's really a lot of regulatory stuff that has not been worked out yet, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. When can we expect the stores to, to actually open for business? I think they're talking July 1st. July 1st. Um, and I think they were even talking about – fast-tracking it. Like there was another component of the law that was uh -huh. supposed to go into effect July 1st, 2016, and uh -huh. I, I heard tell that they're going to even uh -huh. fast-track some of the other things as far as licensing and, and whatnot, but um, it's just the wild, wild west at this point. A lot of money coming in in that business, too. Oh, so, yeah. Well, considering the fact that back in the old days, when I was running the underground newspaper in Baltimore, we were arrested constantly uh, matter of fact, the cops brought the dope in one time when we didn't have any. They just uh, they thought they would just supply it for us so that they could arrest us. Um, uh, if if I can hold off the heart attack until July 1st, I'm finally going to be able to go purchase something. It's it's pretty amazing. It uh, really is amazing. In our lifetimes, I never thought I would see this, and 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 I think now it's great that Washington and Colorado have had these experiences where it's kind of. Hey, it's just like alcohol, or it's one of those things that exists in society. Let's be responsible about it. Let's tax it. Let's put in a regulatory scheme. Right. And I love. I think Oregon is going to learn from those two uh, states and and uh, see where it goes. But it, for me, it's just a trip. I, I've done some registered some trademarks for marijuana products in Colorado <laughs> and Washington. And I just uh, doing What's your these favorite? doing these processes. You're just like wow, like. The world has changed, yeah. and, and God love it that they need a lawyer to help out with this stuff. Yeah, they threw me in jail. I was arrested several times. Sure. Well, it was all political because, sure. because, of, uh, because of the newspaper. Yeah. But 
Still, it was the means to yeah. arrest me. Oh, sure. You know, and, 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 and try to shut us down. Um, they even actually, uh, uh, although he helped us in a pot bust one time, the, the famous, now famous Baltimore Police Department uh, sent one of their officers, ununiformed, to be our photography editor back then. Wow. <laughs> and he would take pictures for us and give us, uh, give us copies and give, and give the police department copies. But uh, at one time, he actually, after he had blown us cover, actually, when, when, when they had busted us, uh, when they brought, brought the pot in, um, testified for us on our behalf. <laughs> there's, there's, Who were we? we there's were a just, great movie in there somewhere. We were just, we, we were just hippies, for Christ's wow. sake, you know? <laughs> but, we, of course, we did, at the time, publish The Price of Pot. Oh sure, I remember when High Times used to do that yes. too. Yeah. They, they probably still do it. I don't yeah, know. Anyway, um, so what have you heard lately that you like? Where where have you been? What concerts have you heard that you that, that you really like? Well, Blue Cranes the other night was great. Yes. I, and I have to tell you, I go out maybe four nights a week to see wow. live music. Um, in a given year, I can't. I keep track of all the bands I've seen. I see about two hundred and seventy-five full sets in a year. So wow. that's. You know, a lot of music. You have you have a list. You keep. A I keep a, a list of everything really? I've ever seen. Is it ever. in a book or is it online? It's, uh, it's just in my private archives. But it's great. You know, I, I've even It'd be great had, if you actually had a real diary. I, I've had friends who just go, "Hey, remember we saw the Cure back in '83?" And I'll go, "I never saw that." And they go, "Check your log." I go back, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, gosh darn! I guess I didn't remember that concert for some reason." Um, uh, really like them a lot. Um, Boy, there's a great band called Bear Cubbin I really uh -huh. like seeing in town. Uh, the former drummer for the uh, – I'm going to space out on the name. That's okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. incredible band. Um, Edna Vasquez, who's a client of mine, uh -huh. every time she plays, I try to see her. She is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I have to tell you, it's like having about 700 children, and you go to their recitals all the time. But it's great for my street credibility to be yeah. there. I'm an honest fan of the music. I I would go anyway uh, seeing all this stuff, but I always tell my clients, let me know when you're playing out, and I'll come check you out. Uh, there's some metal bands I work with, a band called Disenchanter I really mm -hmm. like a lot. Uh, Sons of Huns, another client, really yeah. good uh, metal band. Um Boy, I, I, I could go on for hours about just and, – and I'm if any of my clients are listening, I'm, I haven't forgotten about you. Because remember I saw that show of yours about two months ago at the uh, Secret Society? And uh, you throw one of the great parties of all time. Oh, thanks. Your, yeah. your Halloween Day of the Dead party is spectacular. Yeah. Every year I do my Dia de los Musicos Muertos, the Day of the Dead Musicians, and I build an altar for the uh, folks that have passed in the last year and um, – uh, and we get a Brazilian band to come in there typically and just throw down. And uh, for what I always remember of it, I'm glad when t people take photos because I'm usually kind of out of it by about 10 o'clock. But uh, it's a good time. And and even folks in the local community, it's really nice when, uh, you know, you just uh, – I, I did a, a, a votive candle for Kirk Reeves. Yeah. Uh, you know, just one of those guys that's, right. you know, hey, think about this guy. Like, he brought music to us. Like, you'd just be sitting in your car, and, and there he was wearing right. the Mickey Mouse hat. Like, yeah. it's guys like that. So I'll, I will kind of do a little offering to uh, Janice Scroggins last year, um, you know, folks like that that are right. just kind of 
part of the scene that it's and I bust out those candles every year so it's yeah. now seven or eight years there's fire laws I'm sure I'm breaking with lighting all that stuff up but it's it's a lot of fun yeah and and you you always have that 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 I, I always have to, to to look get close and look and make sure it's you because you have your face painted I you will do the skull painting and yes. yeah 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 doesn't our photographer's girlfriend do that Yes, she does. Yeah. Yeah, she does an amazing job every year. And John comes and takes great photos. And I, I that's he's he's a rock star. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, thank you so much for everything you do for the musicians here. Sure and, thing. And, and, and that you've done for us. And uh, thanks for being here. Oh, no worries. This is a trip. Thank you for having me.